Um, yeah, let's go ahead and, and get started. Uh, Tracy, if you'll give us an opening prayer, and then um, I'm just going to kind of mute myself until I actually at my house and, and everything. Uh, Neil can just take over from there. All right. Our dear Father in heaven, we're thankful to be gathered here tonight to learn more about ham radio, and we pray that the Spirit will be with us so that we may learn how to be more prepared and check this out and we're thankful for all of the things Cameron does to help us in preparing and spiritually and physically and we're thankful for this wonderful group of friends that come together and work together towards building a Zion heart and we're thankful for the gospel and we say this in the name of thy son Jesus Christ amen amen thank you you're welcome. If somebody will keep an eye on chat and whatnot, I probably won't see it. Um, so I got the presentation up as we go through this. So feel free to ask questions. Um, my goal is not specifically to convince you to get your ham radio license, although that's one of the messages I'll communicate. It, it's to show you options of what you can do, why you'd want to do it, and talk through uh communication in a preparedness situation so um with that i'll just dive in so all right how do i, I click there okay so the first question is is well we've got communication now we got phones we got cell phones we've got internet isn't that good enough anybody have thoughts why do and we it go that? down. <laughs> okay. Why would it go down? Oh, we have no control over, you know, what, how it's up or down. We have zero control. That's true. Um, and uh, let's see if this works like it's supposed to. So, yeah, we're so dependent on cell towers these days, cell phones. Our cell phones are, are a radio. They're a radio that operates on a frequency and communicate with, with antennas that are on towers. Those towers require power. They do. Most towers have some kind of battery or generator backups. It can be as short as four hours, as long as several days. But in any case, they're not unlimited. So, and when a tower goes down, now you know if that's the one your phone reaches. Now your phone doesn't work. You don't have internet, whatnot. The other thing is, is a cell system in emergencies often get overwhelmed. One of the things they teach us is that um, in an emergency, avoid doing voice calls if you can. Text messages are much more compact. They, they use a whole lot less resources. And you can often send and receive text when you could not make a call. So keep that in mind. The internet. You know, everything's interconnected. It's dependent on power and transmission lines, um, especially if we lose power. Ultimately, that's going to go down and things are going to go dark. So, and they require towers and servers and communication and systems to all keep running. Um, first question is, is, so why do we need to communicate? Who do we want to communicate to? In your case, you know, why are you here? Who is it you want to talk to in an emergency situation? Well, obviously the book clubs. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Book club members, that's a good one. Um, Fam like the, family. The town next to me, you know, since we don't have a whole lot of resources here in Malta, um, being able to communicate with like Burley, you know, a little bit bigger towns, kind of our, our stake boundaries kind of a thing. So nearby, nearby friends and neighbors and family. Yeah, mainly. And I heard someone else. This family, my family is all in Utah and Washington. So quite a ways away from me. So just some way so to. Far away family. Far away family. Okay. Those are all good, good points. Uh, so, yeah, so communication you know maybe we want to just know what's going on on a local national international level uh, we talked about 
well, we didn't talk about this, but maybe you just need to talk to people in the same household because now you're evacuated, you're separate cars. What, what was the best method for that? Um, maybe it's just different family members and you're like, I have a half a dozen of my daughters and son-in-laws and grandkids that live in the Utah Valley area. So they're in a, what I would call line of sight or nearby area. And then of course we have distant people that we want to communicate with. And in my case, I'm, I'm down in Utah Valley. I have one married daughter that's up in Logan and another one that's off in Wyoming. And it's a different need to reach that group. So what I thought is I'd spend just uh, not to get anybody overwhelmed, but talk a little bit about how radios and communication works, some of the fundamentals of it, because then we can talk about why different radios are needed for different things. So virtually all communication happens because of electromagnetic waves, waves that change polarity between positive and negative. When I'm talking, my vocal cords are vibrating, creating sound waves that then get transmitted to your ear, which is attuned to that level and knows how to decode that sound. Likewise, the light that you're seeing is a wave that's being reflected and your eyes are a receiver that knows how to decode that. Well, these waves are either really short and really fast or they're very, very long and really slow. And you see on this chart that different kinds of radios work at different places. On the far left, we would have like our AM broadcast band. So like KSL 1160 is considered a fairly long a wave. It's in what we call the HF or high frequency band. And then you work your way over, you get into cell phones. Uh, they're, in, they're a very short wave, uh, work at short distances. Microwave is actually a wave. Um, you put out enough power, you can cook something. Well, the same is true with a radio or whatnot. If you put out enough power and enough wave, you can cook something with it. So there's dangers you have to be careful of. And then as you move over, you get into the light spectrum and eventually, you know, into the super tiny waves. Um, but this just gives you an idea of some of the different waves and different kinds of communication that happen at different points. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. So let's see. So in order for communication to happen, you need a transmitter with an antenna that broadcasts a wave and, and information's embedded in that wave. And then you need an antenna on the other end and a receiver that's tuned to the same wave. There's all kinds of gospel analogies about how the spirit works and whatnot. That's the same way the, the, the spirit can be broadcasting a huge message. And if we're not tuned to it, we won't hear it. Likewise, there's background noise in, in radios. And if the signal or the strength of that wave isn't great enough to give up, get above the noise level, you won't hear it either. So for example, I happen to have a ham radio running over here. Um, and if I turn it up, you just, you hear a lot of noise and I have to find a station. So there you can see there's a signal and it's barely above the noise level. But it's above the noise level, so with some tweaking, I can dig out that signal and be able to receive the message that's being sent. And we do that by narrowing the, the, the frequency that we're looking at, by suppressing some of the noises, by tuning in exactly. And same way with the spirit. You know, you've got to be in tune. you got to get rid of the noise um, and make sure that signal's coming in strong. Um, so. The radio works by a sender and a receiver. And in, information is encoded in this wave different ways. So AM radio, for example, stands for amplitude modulation. So what we do is we don't change the width of this wave, but we change the power between the cycles. And doing that, we can encode the music, the sound, the voice. 
FM radio, on the other hand, is called frequency modulation. And what it does is it changes the width of the wave and encodes data doing that. And then there's what's called pulse width modulation that actually does both. And it's amazing what, what it does and how it does it, but it encodes a lot of information. The other thing that, that is important to kind of understand is a long wave that takes a long time to cycle, like AM radio is, is up in what we call the 80 meter band. It means it takes 80, that the wave travels 80 meters. So what's that, uh, like uh, 240 feet or so for it to change from positive to negative back to positive. That's a long wave. Um, it's called, and, and that's in the, what we call the HF or high frequency band. Um, a wave that takes that long to change, it's harder to send a lot of information on because that wave takes a long time to move. Whereas the wave, you know, cell phones operate in what we call the gigahertz range. That wave is, uh, you know, it travels a fraction of a millimeter to do that distance change. So the amount of information you can send is that much greater because it's moving so fast that you can pack a lot into it. But it has limitations. The cell phone, you know, it won't go around the world. It won't go over the mountain. It's, it's again, a line of sight and you have to have a lot of power and be fairly close. All right, let's see. The frequency band is, is regulated and chopped up into different pieces. Ham radio is this green color here, down here. So we get privileges, there's pieces scattered around. We get privileges scattered throughout the spectrum and the rest of this is, you know, satellites have certain frequencies, microwaves, cell phones, private, uh, um, companies can license certain frequencies, public broadcast and TV is on different frequencies. And so those are licensed and controlled by the FCC, the Federal Communication Co Commission. Some are free. So like the handheld radios that we used to take to Disneyland so we, before we had cell phones so we could talk to each other. Those are on a frequency and a power level that you were allowed without a license. Some require licenses. So we'll talk about that. In the case of, of ham radio and others, the frequencies are broken into low frequency, medium, high frequency, which is it's still very, very long and slow, then very high, ultra high, and then microwave. Very high and ultra high are used for short distance line of sight. And the HF and above is used for the things that go around the world. And we'll talk about how it does that in an, another slide here. But when you hear the term HF or short wave, they're talking about these waves that can go around a long distance. Um, you may know that KSL, for example, most of the time you probably don't hear it, but Sometimes KSL broadcasts and people pick it up in, you know, California, Idaho, all over the place because it's in this upper range and at certain times that wave bounces and goes a long, long ways. Okay, so I kind of mentioned this. So how fast the signal is, um, is, is I you know, half my stuff's blocked out, so is how often the wave changes. The, the VHF and UHF is what most of our short range um, communication is done with. Ham radio is an AM broadcaster way up there. FM is kind of in the middle. FM isn't designed to go more than line of sight. So they put towers on mountains to broadcast um, to do that. The long, slow ones, I could take the HF bands, they will bounce and go around. And this is, this is why. The atmosphere has electromagnetic bands in it. There's actually seven or eight of them. They're not all depicted here. And what happens is the sun puts out energy that ionizes the atmosphere, these different bands ionize, and it creates like a, a barrier. So when the, when the atmosphere is ionized because the sun's sunspots and whatnot, then these long signals, instead of going like this red line here that goes up and out, well, it'll hit that layer and it'll reflect back down or it'll hit a higher layer and it'll affect even further. So 
with my ham radio pretty much any time any day better at night because uh, that's uh, when I get the higher layers and longer skips I can pretty well talk to you know regions on the other side of the world it's amazing what you can do um, during the day when the ionized band gets lower then it's harder to go as far because it bounces sooner and doesn't go as as, as good yeah now I went that far um, so and and your your cell phone its signals going so fast that it just goes out of the atmosphere it doesn't bounce off anything and so that's why it's line of sight so quick uh, question on that with yeah. the the times of day and everything so where like on this side of the the world is is night but the other side of the world is day it it's not really my it it matters where it's transmitting from, right? Because like which layer it's hitting and, and refracting from? It's both sides. So okay. the, the best time in, in, and you'll see when I get to my communications plans with my family, the best time seems to be as we transition from day to night, mm -hmm. we're able to reach more places because on the other side of the earth, they're doing the same thing and that, that, Mm -hmm. so it's all something that you can calculate through and and figure out actually websites that'll show you what the bands are like and and where you're skipping to because it monitors who's talking to who and what can be heard but uh the key thing is just to understand that you know we just we just went through what we call the sunspot minimum when the sunspots were low and we're coming out and the sunspots are starting to pick up during the minimum some of the bands and ham radio don't go hardly anywhere but but now the sunspots are picking up during the day certain bands are really good because you know they're bouncing lower um and during the night other bands are good because they're going further so in my communication plan i have the family gets on the radio at like nine in the morning and you know for 10 or 15 minutes they'll try to call on various frequencies and then they'll do it again at nine at night to try to communicate and that's to try to capture some of this change sure. so um we need different devices for different situations so you know inexpensive handhelds or mobile radios are good for local communication and you've seen i was just digging where'd my um you see my screen instead of my picture. I've got 72 hour kit here I'm digging into. And inside that 72 hour kit, these kits are probably 10 or 15 years old. I have, these are the old Midland. I don't know if you can see me at the same time you can see the presentation. Am I showing? Yeah, I can it? see you. It's like in a little thumbnail. Yeah. Okay. You see this little handy talkie. This is a Midland Extra Talk is what it's called. And they were the family radio service before cell phones. You know, if you went to Disneyland, you'd give different family groups this so you could talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And they're good for, you know, families traveling down the road, things like that, where, where you don't need to communicate very far and you don't want to have to have a license so um then it takes you know in my background here this this radio over here that i was messing with this is a they call an hf high frequency long range radio they're more expensive it takes a little more to understand what's going on but this radio will, will broadcast on seven or eight different bands and i can communicate you know all over the world given the need so um, some other examples, I took, um, I stopped screen sharing for a second. So you see me, um, let me grab, you know, if you don't practice, then it doesn't do you any good. So I had the opportunity, I was, I was, looking to learn a certain skill there's a way with radios that you can connect it to a computer and send email and in the process of discovering that i ran into a group that goes to honduras every year twice a year 
and they go to these remote villages to give doctor and dental services. But these remote villages, they, you know, the groups takes their own generators, their own gas to run their medical equipment. Um, there's no cell towers, there's no cell phone service. So all the communication is done with radios. So when I found out and got excited and felt prompted to go, we went down. Oh, it was right before COVID. We actually got out of Honduras two days before they shut the airlines down. So a little close, but I took, this is a portable HF radio. This kit's got all the antennas and wires. It's got a battery to operate it. It's got solar panels to recharge. And then with a computer, um, all our communication back to the base, the doctor's communication to arrange for, you know, planes to fly in and pick up patients that needed to go get surgery. All that was done by ham radio. And I got a chance to go actually practice it and see how it works. And we would communicate from Honduras to a, there's a big station in Texas that actually has some big rotating antennas that he would point at us. They tend to be the best station, but I, at times I couldn't get him and I was going to Greenland. And then that person to pick up the email, the radio broadcast through windmail, and then he would put it on the net and send it out as the email. It's all automatic by the computers. And then it would show up at the, you know, the, the base back in Honduras, having gone halfway around the world to get there. Um, but it was good to go practice and learn that. And uh, I have, uh, I can show you outside if we have time, we'll go do that. But uh, some other things now, let me see, how do I get back? There we go, the presentation. So, so the question is, um, that was supposed to be this one. Where do we start? You know, the first thing you got to do is decide who I need to communicate with, why do I want to communicate, and that'll determine what kind of communication equipment you get. Second, you got to make a plan. And this is a plan you share with your family and friends, whatnot, because it's, it's great to have all this equipment, but if there's nobody on the other side to hear it, it's not going to do any good. So, for example, I got... Uh, I have 11 kids and nine soon to be 10 are married. I actually made these kits with radios and instructions and batteries and solar panels. We'll go through it a little bit later and gave one of these to each of the, my married children that were in the Utah Valley, Salt Lake area that I can reach with line of sight and did a larger kit that we'll look at for the ones that are out of town and then encourage them to get their ham radio license. I actually have an eight-year-old granddaughter that's working on her license, so anyone can do it. Step three is based on your plan and who you need to talk to, you can select your equipment. And maybe you don't need to talk to people far away, so all you wanna do is listen. Well, then there's some inexpensive options for listening and we'll go through some of that. And then step four is you need to actually go share your plan and practice it on occasion. So we'll, on a conference weekend, say, okay, get your radios out. Let's see if we can talk to each other and do some practicing. So we talked about this. Think about what are your communication needs? Is it, is it just, you know, everybody's at home because your kids are young. You don't really need to talk to anybody. So some simple uh, handheld radios, you know, that you can put in uh, various vehicles when you're traveling or whatnot is good enough. Do you need to talk to people that are in different homes scattered around the region? That's a different radio. And if you need to communicate long distance or want to monitor what's going on, those are different needs. Okay. Um, so what's in a plan? And I will post this presentation and a bunch of sample documents um, up on Learning Zion so you can download them. So you can get to these links and whatnot. But a good plan, you know, determine one, who you're going to talk to. Make a contact list with both, you know, both local and out of area phone numbers, email addresses, etc. Then how are you going to communicate? So, you know, in, in our case, if you're living in our house, people know in a disaster, the first place we meet is out front. 
If that's not safe, we go down the street about a block to a common area. If that's not safe, then we meet over at the church. Um, and we communicate by foot and whatnot. Once we're safe, then we'll kick in our other radios and start talking to extended family members. Then decide when are you going to communicate? Because it doesn't do any good to get on the radio and start calling if nobody's listening. So we have established times and we'll show you uh, an example of that. I wonder if it'll let me bring that up without sharing. Let's see. Uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. So we'll have it in there. Okay. So equipment. First off, to listen um, to what's going on, there's some options. If you want to listen to the police fire and the local emergency, then you, you need a scanner of some kind. And in this case, it should be what they call a trunking scanner because in the old days, the police had a fixed frequency and everybody talked on that frequency, but only one person could talk at a time. But all modern police departments and whatnot actually have a whole, you know, they might have 10 or 15 frequencies and the radio will automatically choose the one that's free to talk to the other side and establish that. And you need what's called a trunking scanner in order to monitor the changes in frequency as the as the as it jumps around, and this Bearcats, you know, these are some options um, that are possible. I have one in the basement. I wasn't able to dig out yet, but uh, whatnot. Then um, for monitoring national events, you need a shortwave radio with uh, single sideband, and this yellow one here, I I don't own it. Uh, you know, it's out on uh, Amazon. It's 49 bucks. Um, supposedly it'll recharge with solar. Plus it has a crank, the ability to listen to a lot of stuff. I, you know, quality, I can't guarantee, but it was an interesting one because of all those features. Then this one on the right, this GP7, I actually have the older model, the GP5 right here. And I keep it the batteries out of it so that the batteries don't contaminate it if they go bad it's got an antenna everything built in in the manual and how to operate it and it's capable of listening to all those ham radio bands and all those am broadcast band the interesting thing is like bbc of london you can pretty well find and listen to any time day or night because they broadcast on a frequency on many frequencies and usually you can find one of them so even if power's out here, you would have the ability to potentially listen in and see what's happening on a national scale. So that's that GP7 is a really good one to have in, in your kit. And these are for listening only. So, but it lets you know what's going on and they're a little less expensive. So that one, what kind of batteries is it? Uh, is there like a solar option or anything with that? So the GP7 the GP, uh, does not, um, it takes regular batteries and I think it takes a charging adapter. And what I've done is I've, I've modified it so I can run it off the battery that I have in my radio kit, mm -hmm. recharging gotcha. and whatnot. I'll show that in a little bit. So I store extra batteries. Um, the best batteries, it's just double A. Let me go grab the best batteries to store. They're right here. So. It's these Energizer Ultimate Lithium, double mm -hmm. A or triple A, depending on what your needs are. The lithium don't have the problems where the lead acid, you know, get corroded and go bad. Yeah. They have a 20 year shelf life. They're not damaged when you get them hot and cold, like some others are, and they'll store forever. So that's, that's what I've got in my emergency stories, these ultimate lithium batteries for these devices. Sweet. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that's sweet because that answers a different question that I had. <laughs> I mean, not on ham radios or anything, but I've always wondered, like, what kind of batteries do I need to store? 
Yeah. And then, um, the other batteries that are in all my kits, they're not inexpensive, but these, um, Dakota Lithium LifePo 4 um, lithium batteries are... Is that like a whole brick of something or like, a, is that the box of them? It's, you'd find these like in, um, it's, it's a, a contained one, like, you know, in your, your battery backup power supplies for computers. Uh -huh. I think it's called a BL3 size battery, um, 12 volt, seven amp hour happens to have this one happens to have a, a a unit on top that gives me connectors to do different things with a solar charge controller it's part of this kit i'll go through it's kind of the base for everything i do because i can i can recharge my cell phones off of this i can recharge my my radios off of this i can recharge this battery with a solar panel that's included um, it's the basis for pretty much everything i do so question if this takes you off course, but like EMP danger or whatever, like does that battery or uh, do ham radios even work after an EMP? So the danger is when the EMP happens after the, after the blast, um, there's no residual effect per se. Uh -huh. Something's damaged is damaged and things that work will work. Gotcha. So what, what you'll see is I'm going to stop screen sharing again for a second because you're asking good questions. So all of my equipment is stored. See these ammo cans? Uh-huh. I've ground down the paint off of the top edge here. Let me take this lid off. This lid originally had a rubber gasket in here. This is an electromagnetic seal. And by, by putting this seal in, and, and you have to grind the paint off underneath it, it, it maintains a constant contact. This becomes a Faraday cage and it protects it from EMP. Gotcha. So my radios and batteries and my emergency stuff is stored in cans that are all protected like this. How so, much would you say like just a, a can is before you start upgrading it and everything? Okay, let me get back to this presentation and we will jump ahead and see. <laughs> yeah, sorry. If you want to like go sequentially, if it's coming up, that's totally fine. Uh, yeah, let's see. So this is, we'll get there. Mm -hmm. We'll follow this a little bit. It's on the next screen, I think. So, so as I mentioned, my 72 hour kits have the simple FRS radio system, the handy talkies with some batteries that are not in it that are kept separate. And then uh, my 72 hour kit also has that shortwave, the GP5 in my case, but GP7 is what you'd be getting. Uh, so that I have the ability, if we have to grab 72 hour kits and go, um, I can listen in and kind of find out what's happening on an international scene. And national, you can pick up, you can pick up the National Weather Service and other things with that too. Okay. And then each family in the Wasatch Front has this box that has, it actually has a Baofeng radio, and I'll give you that information. But it's this this very small. You know, it looks like the family radio service, but it actually broadcasts on ham frequencies, several frequencies, including the family radio, the GMRS, and there's another one that's a, a legal frequency. So it has the ability to do ham plus the other, and I've programmed it so that the FRS channels are programmed in. The family just looks on their sheet and knows what channel to go to. Mm -hmm. And then a trunking scanner. And then I have, of course, my, my base station with its big antenna. And it's not stored in an, an EMP-proof can. And I've done other things, but it's, it's potentially at risk. So I have another one that's stored in an EMP-proof can along with my mobile stuff. So I'll give you examples of this. But here is, here is the, what I call the local communication go kit with prices and links and everything else if you want to go build your own. I love it. $625 for all of this, you know, there's some things that may not be needed, but this is, this is your shopping list. If you're just going to go try to duplicate it. Mm -hmm. And so it's in this presentation 
uh, we can look at some of this. So we talked about the bow frame radio. So the solar panel um, is this fold up 60 watt panel that is capable of recharging that battery in five or six or seven hours. And it comes with all the cords and connectors uh, to do a lot of things, including recharge your cell phone, but we recharge it off this battery. Um, you know, I, I use these called Write in the Rain notebooks. They're actually waterproof with a, a mechanical pencil that's waterproof. So you can you know, take notes and write down what needs to happen. Um, every kid in it has the family. This is the communication plan. It tells you how to, you know, who to contact, when to contact. It gives you instructions on how to tune the radio, um, what channels have what on it. It tells you how to hook the solar panel up to recharge. You know, it's it's kind of the idiot guide mm -hmm. of, of how to do this. And I will actually, okay, can I get this screen to go down? If I go to, yeah stuff out of the way here we go so i'll include this document but here is this is the plan and it talks about how to gather what to watch for in the first page then here's our communication i have mine has primary and secondary contacts out of state um, talks about which channel to try to communicate what hours of the day for our area. For those people that are far away, it tells you, you know, 40 meter band, go here and, you know, attempt to call at these times. And you, you may not connect every day. You may not connect in the morning. Maybe you'll catch it in the evening, but between the family, we should be able to eventually get everybody connected up instructions on how to tune it if you're trying to tune to talk to somebody else um, with these line of sight radios there are antennas mounted on mountaintops called repeaters and you talk on one frequency and listen on another and by talking to that antenna tower it turns around and rebroadcasts your signal and so you can make it a lot further than you would just from where you're standing and most areas have repeaters set up if you know where they are. So mines have been programmed for my area so that I can, for example, get into Salt Lake Valley because there's these mountains in the way, but through the repeater, I can get there. Uh, it tells you, you know, it has the details in here, how to hook the solar panel up to charge or recharge your battery, all of that kind of information. This will all be uploaded so you can just download this and kind of plug in your own information and make it work. Mm -hmm. So, um, Okay, now let me get back to this one. Okay. Show. So this is in here. Um, oh, this is the next one in line. This is the long range, high frequency, you know, get around the world, kind of the simplified. So is that for broadcasting and listening or just listening? Yeah, this is ham radio. So it's for both. Okay. Gotcha. Now, in theory, ham radio takes a license. Mm -hmm. um, in practice, in an emergency situation, people without a license are allowed to broadcast. Um, but that would be they're you know, considered short duration. And without a license, you know, you may not have the skill and kind of the understanding to, to, to be able to do what you want to do. So again, I'm going to jump ahead. So well, now where did I go? I didn't mean to click on that one. Okay. So continuing along, you got to build a plan, get your equipment, then you got to share it. And then you need to practice. Okay. So then the next question is, is so why get a ham radio license? You know, a lot of these things don't take one. And it may be that in your situation, you don't need it. You know, monitoring is good enough. If I can hear, I'm happy. Or if there's a good ham radio operator in my neighborhood, then I can rely on him. Um, but I would argue that it's a skill that is important. It's a, it's a preparedness skill and you need to learn and practice it. 
And uh, going through ham radio will give you that learning and that practice so that you can be able to communicate effectively. Ham radio doesn't take any infrastructure. There's no wires, there's no power need. I mean, you, you run off battery. There's no public grid. You can talk person to person around the world. It's portable. You can pack it up and take it with you. And it'll work when everything else doesn't. And if you've stored it in EMP proof cans, et cetera, then you'll have it even if an EMP happens. So, um, so how do you get a license? There are three license levels. Technician is the entry level, and that allows you to communicate on the handhelds with some very limited on the HF bands. Then general gives you probably 60, 70% of the privileges on the HF and extra gives you 100% of the privileges. I would encourage everybody to at least get their general so they can communicate on the HF frequencies. Um, a license when you get it is valid for 10 years and can be renewed for you know subsequent 10 years without any testing so once you have it if you keep it renewed you know you're there's you don't have to do anything else to maintain it it's inexpensive usually under 40 dollars to get through it the technician license for example that the american radio relay league the arrl is the national organization that administers and takes care of this and does all our training and whatnot. They publish a, a, a question pool, 423 questions. They're in like, I don't know, 10 or 12 categories. You'll only have 35 questions on the test. You gotta get 74 to pass, but those questions are all published. So you can literally study the questions if, you, if, if you're good at that. General license is similar, 35 questions out of 454, extras a few more. Technician is primarily some very basics about radio fundamentals and a lot about licensing, what you can and can't do, frequencies, those kind of things. It's not complicated. I originally got my license because I was a varsity scout coach back in the 80s. We didn't have cell phones and we were, you know, hiking mountain peaks and going on camps in the Uinas without a way to talk home. So I actually took my entire varsity team and we went down and went through the ham radio classes together and about six, uh, five or six of them got their license with me. And then we carried ham radios wherever we went and always knew the repeaters so we could, we could, they had what's called an auto patch back in the day that allowed you to punch codes on your phone that would actually dial a telephone. And they had a telephone interface at the tower you could call home and talk to home when you were sitting on King's Peak, for example. Before cell phones, that was really cool. Now, who needs it, right? But uh, volunteer examiners conduct the exams in most major, major cities every few months. I know Salt Lake and Provo both have set, testing centers are the ones I know of. It's a $14 charge. I think that may be going up. I think the government decided that we're not paying enough. Uh, but you you pay the fee to take the test and you can take one or more tests. You know, if you pass the technician and you wanna go ahead and take the next and the next, you can jump up. In the old days, you had to learn Morse code and that was the biggest block to people learning or getting their license. Um, but they dropped that requirements many years ago. And it's just, I mean, you literally, you can either go through the material and learn it or you can just memorize questions if you want. Like I say, I've got an eight-year-old granddaughter that's studying to take the exam, so. Would you recommend studying Morris code still? Uh, after you get your license, it's a whole, there's certain frequencies where they do that and it's uh, valuable to know. Okay. I have to admit that I'm not sure I could take Morris code dictation anymore. I'd need to practice. Yeah, uh, I, don't. <laughs> I used to a long time ago. Yeah, I had to pass the five word per minute test and did that. And then, you know, general was a 15 word per minute. And, and uh, but I'm an extra class, but I did my general and extra after they dropped the requirements. So mm -hmm. I it was pretty straightforward. But there are certain channels that communicate with Morse code. So they're, they're designated. There's a, you know, there's a chart here. You can see that. Um, each band has certain areas that by agreement, it's not licensed, it's by agreement, they say, this is for voice, this is for TV, yes, we can do TV, this is for, 
computer communication. There's all kinds of fun new stuff you can do hooking your computer up. And this is for Morris Code. And so, and there's fun awards. There's like the Workdoll States Award or Workdoll Countries Award or 100 Country Award, where if you can make contact and record it, um, the IRL gives out a nice award that's kind of fun, but mm -hmm. for somebody that gets into that. So that's good. So when it comes to studying, um, there's a couple of, these are iPhone apps, but I assume they exist on Android as well. The ham radio exam tech app is a free one the hamstudy.org costs 3.99 and there's a website that goes with it. it's really good um a couple of youtube there's tons of stuff out there but I, i've just listed two this is the first one's a real good overview it's kind of a one hour crash course get you through it um but the best one is the second one it's the one that's uh sponsored by the arrl dave kessler He's an old grandpa. He does a real good job of explaining things simply and going through the concepts. Um, it's about a five and a half hours total if you do the whole thing. Um, and then there's a nice manual that goes with it. Uh, one caveat is this, the, the, the current question pool changes in July, July 1. So you might, you know, you get the apps because they'll update automatically, but you might wait on the manual because um, there'll be a, a fifth edition that has the new question pool. How um, often do they change the question pool? Oh, it's every three or four or five years. It's not gotcha. too often. So say so two choices of study. One is to actually read through the material and then go through the tests and give you good basic knowledge. Uh, I got one son-in-law that's just good at memorizing. All he did was go through the app and take the, the practice questions. And if he missed a question, then he, you know, it, it tracks what you miss and takes you back to it. And then he just memorized the answers and went down and took the test. So um, I'm probably a combination of both. There were some concepts I really wanted to know. I studied in depth and others. I said, I just need to memorize that. I'm not, I'm not going to chase down that rabbit hole. So <laughs> I just memorized the answer and then took the test. So if you listen to the YouTubes, go through the practice questions, it, it really is is pretty straightforward. So, um, all right. And for example, if I go back, where my, yeah, I want to share something different. Okay. Go here. I can show you. Need to share. Okay, is this one I still want to share? All right, I'm used to listening and not presenting that often. So, for example, in the files that I send out will be this Dave Kessler Technician License Series Checklist, something my daughter found and put together. So it's, it goes through Chapter 1, 20 Minutes, How to Get Your License, references the book, and there's a couple of videos. So um, it, it shows that in five and a half hours, you can have watched the videos, gone through the book and the practice questions and been there, but you get an idea of the topics that are covered. Mm -hmm. There's some fun things. I mean, we can talk to the space shuttle. There's always a ham radar on the space shuttle and they designate certain times when they will, when it's overhead, communicate. You need an antenna that you can directionally point at it, but they'll send and receive answer calls from you know people on the ground. Um, at one point I had fun had some big giant antennas that you could directionally, you know, with the handhelds, with some good power, you'd point it at the moon and you'd bounce it off the moon and, and talk to somebody around the earth. Um, there are ham radio satellites in space that you can communicate with to get around and do things. So, ham radio has been at the forefront of, you know, communication development. And that was, its purpose was to provide an alternate means of communication and ham radio operators there's volunteer organizations where you go run, you know, races and parades and, uh, you know, when the sheriff's office goes out on call, there's usually a bunch of ham radio operators that go to back them up um, because that's the purpose of the, the, the licensing and whatnot is to do that. So anyway, um, I can walk through some of these kits if you want. Um, 
we could go outside and look at some of the antennas. Uh, what? So yeah, that as far as antenna go, like, <clears throat> so you gave those examples of the kits that you have for your local children versus a little bit farther away. Yes. For the farther away ones, do you need additional antenna or like, what are the antenna for? Just for long distance, you know, across the state? Yes. So for example, in the kit for the handheld, I give a, you know, there's a, a recommendation to get a bigger, longer antenna to go on the handheld radio that lets it communicate a little further. Um, if you look up on my ceiling, actually, you see hanging there with some wires that aren't hooked up at the moment is a directional antenna that I hook into my handheld to communicate to some of the repeaters and get further. You don't need that in the emergency kit, but in the HF, the around the world one, this wire is 75 feet long, and this is called an NFED antenna. It allows you to broadcast on 80, 40, 20, 15, and 10 meter bands without a tuner because it's been specially built to do that. And that's what I recommend in the kit. But, you know, if you get into ham radio, what I should do, what did I do with my phone? I go outside, I can show you a couple of these in action. So let me, I'm going to mute here and bring it up on the phone and walk outside and we'll show you some antennas outside. I got to find where is the link to get onto the Zoom. So for example, with like Tracy that's in Oregon and she's wanting to communicate with Ogden, like she's going to need the long distance kit that you recommend yes. plus, mm -hmm. plus a good antenna. Or is the antenna listed in that? that it's kit? listed in the kit. It's part of the kit. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, all right, come on. Where's learning Zion? I got to find the link here to start it on my phone. I should just look on Wednesday night. Huh? There we go. Okay. I'm going to mute here. So, Okay. okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to go outside. Um, how do I tell it to go outside? There we go. Oh, this is out on my back porch, but she got the garden started. Um, but if you look, there's this tall vertical antenna here with a bunch of wires on top. That's a multi-band HF vertical that, that generally has better send and receive characteristics than the single long wire. Um, but again, you got to have mounting poles and you got to spend a little more money and it's not portable. Mm -hmm. Whereas that one I have, you can, you can hook up and you can see it here. This is a different I've got hooked here, you got your antenna wire coming up and then that long wire this is the different one is strung out to a flag pull out on the other end of the property. Um, and it's a multi-band NFED and I use that. I have a switch I can switch between it and gives me the, you know, the ability to try the vertical versus this long wire. In this case of the long wire, the higher you put the wire up to, what they call quarter waves. So on 80 meters, that would be 20 meters or uh, about 80 feet in the air. It works better. Um, then they have what's called the Yaggies, which is the big ones you see that look like you're pointing at something. Mm -hmm. And they, they can be rotated. And what it does is it directs the energy in the direction that those, those beams are set up. So that, that's, but again, those aren't portable. So that NFED long wire is, is my recommendation for portability because you can, like I say, this isn't 20 feet or um, what did I say? 60 feet in the air. It's, it's just maybe 15, 20 feet. And it's not as efficient as if it were higher, but 
it actually does better closer to the ground in this case to get uh, to communicate with uh, people in Wyoming and Logan because they're actually in what's called the shadow. The mm -hmm. beam would bounce over their head, but because this is close to the ground, it bounces more straight up and down. Okay. Anyway, that's a a look at some base station kind of antennas. Yeah. All right. Okay, what okay, other what questions? That's turned off. I don't know. Yeah, so this is good to get feedback. What questions do you have? Um, anything else you'd like to see? Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I, I'm going to have to like dive through like that, that shopping list and everything that you've got there and just kind of see exactly what I, I need. I'm I've like three or so lessons into the ham radio course that okay. I'm taking. Um, it's on hamradioprep.com. But I mean, the first lesson I was like in so deep, I was like, I it's it's a totally new language, and I was like so frustrated. Um, but uh, I I'm excited to to get further into it, get kind of a grapple on it, and then um, have somebody to like. Uh, bounce questions off of when they they come up when I'm uh, studying and everything. Uh, this has been really great because uh, it answered all the questions that I had as far as like location because I really do feel prompted to to buy some of the equipment right now even though I might not know fully how to use it yet. Yeah, um, just while prices and some simple instructions you could probably fumble through it in an emergency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, continue on. But with the way prices are and shipping and who knows what, I just want to get things <laughs> secured and, and bought right now. <clears throat> but so as far as like local groups and stuff, I know that there's different clubs and have radio things all the time. Um, I haven't looked at the ones around me, but um, is there like a national registry? Like once you get there your is. everybody signs into that? So the ARRL.org, if you go to that website, there is a way to look up local clubs. Gotcha. And there tends to be clubs everywhere. So you should be able to. And Cameron, I'm going to send you a link to this Google Drive with the stuff in it. So you can create a place on Learning Zion and, uh, and then share that with everybody. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so as far as those like antennas, like in your backyard and stuff, uh -huh. like which ones are like shareable? Are they all hardwired or, um, like can neighbors use like kind of band together and split the cost between a, a common antenna kind of a thing? So they are, there is a cable that goes from each of those antennas into my station here. Gotcha. And and you'd have to run a different cable to the neighbor's house and then unscrew and screw in theirs. You, you don't, you can't share them at the same time. You'd have to run your own cable to it. So gotcha. Yeah. So it's better just to help at least one person in the community get it all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, locked down and, and trained and stuff and, and just going to have that communication hub for like the small town of Malta, for example. Like I know of two other people that have their, their ham radio license and stuff, but um, anyway, I, I had never even heard of what a ham radio was until recently. And so uh, yeah. it's kind of interesting to like, what do we do in an emergency situation? How do we communicate, you know, up and down the, the Wasatch front or whatever? Which brings up another question. So as far as like the church, does the church have a ham radio plan to kind of communicate with its members in, in a so situation? They did. Back when the Mexico earthquake happened in the 80s, mm -hmm. I was part of that group. And uh, the, the tallest building over at BYU had a bunch of ham radio, big antennas on it. And they had some base stations set up there went and monitored those and then uh, some buildings in Mexico and members had ham radio and we got communication about the status of missionaries and whatnot. 
by voice talking to the people down there. Um, I haven't heard lately. I, uh, the, the answer is I know they maintain a pretty good ham station, but I don't know what they're, I don't know about, I'm, not, I'm unaware of any stakes that have, you know, stake radios with frequencies to talk to church. There may be some regional stuff, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, because on some of the emergency groups, like on Facebook, I, you know, it's been a couple months since I uh, had seen stuff, but uh, there are still a few stakes that are calling a ham radio specialist, but I didn't, yeah. like our stake doesn't have that at all. I don't think it ever has, but. We've had just, it, and it's empty at the moment, but I still yeah. have a list of the ham radio operators in our stake, so. Mm -hmm. um, and I know many of them in this case, but uh, our stakes are small that you get on a bike and make it to every spot in 10 yeah. minutes. <laughs> so it's not quite the same need that, that some others have. Yeah. So, I mean, we could dive into base stations and all of that, but this is about emergency communication. So mm -hmm. I've given you a list of, of their things that are easy to use and um, you know, be available. Yeah. So just kind of throwing the question out to everyone, like how deep are you into to ham radios? Like, are, are you looking at getting into it pretty soon? Are you looking at purchasing equipment or like, where are you guys at in your ham radio journey? <laughs> I've already bought a couple of the little mobile ham radios. The bought those. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I, felt prompted to get those even though it's just been in the back of my mind I need to probably do this but I didn't really want to go through getting a license I have trauma from getting teaching licenses and all of that <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like the tests <laughs> but I have um that little yellow radio is not a great one but uh, there's some by the company Eton, I think it is. They're better, they come in better. Cause I have a little backpack with radios so you could tune in and try to find AM stations with local news and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the Baofeng is, is not considered the highest quality, but for a hundred dollars, they happen to cover, technically they're not legal because technically you're not supposed to have a radio that you can broadcast you know, talk on the family radio system and these other systems and the CB channels right? Um, and ham channels because you're not supposed to mix licensed and unlicensed. But the FCC has not shut them down. And so you can't buy a, a regular, you know, expensive ham radio that'll cover the same things these will. So that's mm -hmm. why they've been such a big item in preparedness is because of what they, you can listen in on. Right. They, it gets the uh, weather channel and all those kind of things as well so mm. i don't even know how to use it though i remember pulling out the manual and i just put it oh, back away yeah <laughs> that's why i've taken the sheet i have and actually given step-by-step -step instructions because even the radio operator took me watching some youtube videos and whatnot to figure out how to tune it uh, i didn't even think of youtube videos my daughter always thinks of that she can fix <laughs> anything on a youtube video <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the other interesting things i've done is you know when the power goes down the internet's gone we lose our youtube to look things up so one of the things i've That's taken is is capturing uh, you know with the 4k downloader I'll find a channel that's on preparedness or farming or whatever that I think would be important in preparedness. And then I'll go download all the videos on that channel and save them off to an external hard drive. And I actually have a bigger ammo can that has a laptop. It has several external hard drives and it's just, it's just nothing but, you know, thousands of hours of preparedness YouTubes that have been saved <laughs> off and stored. Just in case. Just in case. <laughs> So I didn't get it. I'm on my phone, so I can't see the screen very well. But where do you get those big metal canisters? The ammo cans, I put links in uh, the document that Cameron will share. Some are available on Amazon. Some are sold nationally. They're, they're army surplus cans is what they are. Right. 
and I've listed specifically, it's called the Fat 50 because it's wider than a standard 50 caliber ammo can. And it gives you the room to get the solar panel and everything in it. Okay. I've, I've given you links for everything in there, except for the nice little Cordura bag. The company that makes those doesn't make them anymore. <laughs> so okay. I haven't found an alternative, but it's not an essential component. But you had to take the paint off all the cans? So you don't have to take the paint off a whole can. It's just where the lid shuts. Right. The lid to make electrical contact with the Got top it. edge. Got it. It's just the very top edge and then underneath where the uh, the electromagnetic seal goes. Where the, You'll see when you get it, it's got a rubber seal and you just get a hold of it and the rubber seal comes out. And then I have to use, I use the, the Dremel with a little sanding thing on it. Oh, okay. And if, if there's enough interest, I could probably search around and scrounge up cans and, you know, do the sanding and put the seals on for people. That's what we're doing for our next retreat. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> or if you're coming down for Let's like, see, I'm know, coming to Utah in May. Education <laughs> week. Yeah. We could put a bunch together. Coming down I 15. <laughs> like my, you know, I've done all my kids and my next younger brothers, you know, got deeper into preparedness and he came down and did eight sets <laughs> for his family. And uh, so we spent a, I, I would totally hire you to do that. <laughs> and I'd be happy to not, help. Not lying. <laughs> uh, so Cameron, maybe we'd, we'd look at that yeah. education week or something. I'll mm -hmm. keep watching for a supply there. Yeah. Sometimes I can get them local cheaper, but they've been in short can you, supply lately. Yeah. I can you get them at Smith and Edwards? They very well may have. There's two different cans I list. One's for the it's the VHF, the short range, and the other is a bigger one for the other one, and they would most likely okay. have, have them there. I used to live in Logan. That's my favorite store in the world, anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a good army surplus store up in like Idaho Falls as well that we might be able to. Oh uh, yeah, There's a really good one. Mm. This has all sounded good. So anyway, time to go shopping. Some ideas of what's out there and and what what you might do yeah, for mm -hmm. sure yeah any other questions before we wrap up i'm gonna come to the class again tomorrow <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> i gotta figure out what we should change then <laughs> no i it takes me a while to sink it in <laughs> good okay well thanks everyone yeah thank you so much for thank doing this. you thank you neil Thank you. You're welcome. And I'm happy to answer questions. Mm -hmm. And so like, for example, this one, are you okay if this gets posted on YouTube as- You can do whatever with it, yep. Okay. All right, sounds good. Yeah, so um, we're having the same class tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, it was just kind of like, uh, coordinating schedules with everyone so we decided to do a, a repeat class uh, then as well but we're going to record both of them and uh, post the link um, out and all of the information we'll be emailing it and putting it on learning design as well good all right see you all um, either tomorrow or um, if you're part of our, our book clubs um, uh, we're not doing our regular book club tomorrow. Um, since it's general conference week, we're, we're taking a bye week So it's just the ham radio class tomorrow. Um, but we will see everyone next Sunday or Wednesday for uh, when we kick back up on uh, the words of President Nelson. <laughs>